0: numbers weren't in there until this guy at the print shop needed numbers. No. Uh Yeah, they needed a common way to talk about specific parts of the Bible. And as they were talking about it, they would say, "You know that section in Colossians that starts with blah 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 and then they were like, "Okay, look, let's just number these things." And so they added that. So, I say all that to say we're going to start in Colossians 1:24 but don't let that big number two that starts chapter two make you think that it's a different thing because it's, it's a big chunk. And through this whole big chunk of talking, Paul jumps back and forth to talking about Jesus and how glorious he is. And here's what I'm doing. And here's what you are now, because Jesus is this and Jesus made me into this. And that I'm telling you that now you are this thing because Jesus, and it's kind of uh, a spiraling as Paul's talking. He talks about Jesus for a minute. He talks about himself for a minute. And then he talks about you for a minute. And it's really cool. So let's see if, you, if I can keep track of that the way I made it. notes. Uh, he starts out, Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking... In Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you to make the word of God fully known. It's a huge mouthful. This, this is one of those sentences that gives you a big tip that Greek, they just talk differently. When they used to write things down in Greek, they wrote things differently than we write things in English and this this is a good big long sentence so we're going to unpack it we're going to unravel it and translate it into real english i rejoice in my sufferings for you i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh i'm filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church so he's re- paul is rejoicing he's glad that he's suffering something because in his suffering he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions so you read that and you're like okay hold on wait didn't jesus suffer enough like how could how could jesus how can you look at jesus on the cross and say there's still some suffering lacking here right we need to add more to this so paul's going to suffer That's not what he means. He doesn't mean that Jesus didn't do enough. Because look at the context that it's surrounded in. My sufferings are for your sake. In my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister. According to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of god fully known. There's like four times in there where he says what he is going through is for the church. Or where he says what I'm going through, I'm going through for you. Well, Jesus at the last supper, he said there's there's no greater love than this that a man give up his life for his friends. And of course, Less than 24 hours later, he would die. He would literally give up his life for his friends. But in him saying, give up your life for your for for his friends. um, There's a lot of other places where Jesus said things like whoever wants to be my disciple should be able to take up their cross and follow me. Which is to say, I'm just willing to die. I'm willing to to die a shameful life. I'm not going to live for myself. And. So this whole idea of living for myself, living for me, doing what I want versus giving up my life or dying to what I want, dying to my own self. That's what Jesus, Jesus is, is teaching that. So Paul is saying, I am dying. I'm suffering for you. I'm suffering for others. I'm suffering for everyone else. See, the kid down my street. It's 2019 right? He has never seen Jesus. He has never looked at Jesus. Jesus has never appeared to him as far as I know. But I am there, and Christ is in me, and now I can show that kid what forgiveness is. I can show that kid what reconciliation is. But wait a minute. How can I show this kid down my street what forgiveness is unless there's something that needs to be forgiven. And how can there be something that needs to be forgiven unless somebody suffers? So if something happens and I suffer, let's say uh, I have this awesome garden and a kid comes in his Mustang that he borrowed from his uncle and he does donuts in my garden, right? There I am suffering. It's no big deal. I mean, it is, it's awful, but no big deal. Nobody died, except for those hopeless tomatoes. But um, so I'm suffering. I forgive him. I say, dude, your life is so much. I'm totally making this whole thing up, by the way. Your life is so much more important than my tomatoes. You as a person are more valuable to me than tomatoes. I forgive you because I did a whole bunch of horrible stuff to Jesus and Jesus forgave me. And it was worse than doing donuts and his tomatoes. And because I've been forgiven like that, I know what forgiveness is, and I forgive you. Please don't do it again. But I'm not against you. It's cool. That kid just saw the forgiveness of Jesus through my suffering. He wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't suffered, right? If all he did was drive by every day and... And there was no suffering going on, then then I wouldn't have been able to show the life of Jesus in my life to him. All right. So that is just a ridiculous, silly example. There are a zillion examples of this every day. And it sounds dumb. But think about the things that make us mad, right? You Get cut off in traffic. I've been uh, teaching one of my kids to drive. I never had any idea how many macho men there are in big pickup trucks. Like I knew there were some, but they quadrupled since I've been teaching my son how to drive. And we're in a minivan. And it's like the whole world is full of macho men in pickup trucks. There's some suffering going on there. I'm teaching him to keep both hands on the wheel, right? Don't shake your fist at him. Don't do any of that. There's suffering that goes on. There's forgiveness. Now are they guys receiving it? No. Are those guys even knowing? No. But um, my kids are starting to see how much I carry on when I drive and I'm all bro, this we're gonna drive, drive, and uh, that that there's we suffer over things we have in our head, right? We suffer over things where we think injustice is being done to us. We suffer when we watch the TV news, and we see somebody say something stupid or do something stupid, and the news reports it, and what do we do? Facebook. Right? This is, I'm suffering here, right? This is how I'm suffering. Now, there's a way to suffer that is, if I catch that kid that did the donuts in my tomato patch, I'm going to... Light him up. Yeah, exactly. That's not the suffering that shows off Jesus, right? So suffering happens. My response to that suffering is where Jesus could be shown off or not. That's why Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings because the more I suffer, the more I get to tell people about Jesus. I knew this guy, and um, he got arrested by police in China for preaching the gospel, and he was locked up, and he was so excited because since they knew, everyone in the jail knew he was locked up for preaching the gospel, guess what he wasn't afraid to do? Preach the gospel. So he preached the gospel to everybody that was in that Chinese jail. He preached the gospel to every single one of those guards. Every guard that took him to court, he preached the gospel in court. It was not a, uh, no, I didn't do that. It was, y'all are going to say I did it, so I might as well prove you right. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. Jesus has made a way for you to follow him. That suffering was suffering that he could rejoice in. And was he suffering for himself? He was suffering so that other people could hear the gospel. He was suffering for others. And since Jesus wasn't physically bodily there in China, Peter, this guy I know, was filling up what was lacking in Christ's suffering. Those guys never saw Jesus suffer, but they saw this guy suffering in jail. And they saw how he was treated. And Gosh, he became the best inmate. And he was the best. I mean, everybody loved to like go to his cell because he would say these really encouraging things. He wasn't yelling at him and cussing at him like all the other prisoners were. Wow. So all that big old sentence is all about. I have suffering and I'm responding to it in a way that I can rejoice in Christ. That I am rejoicing because my suffering isn't just for me. Tell you what, have you, ever, have you ever had suffering that was just for you? Isn't that the most miserable kind? When you're doing something just for yourself because you want it and it's just hard and I don't care. I still want it and I'm still like yesterday I'm doing yard work for my wife for Mother's Day. And whenever it was like, oh, you know, you grab a slug on the backside of the brick that you didn't see. And you're like, ah, you're like, I love my wife. Right, when you're suffering for somebody else it's different when you're suffering for I want my car to look really shiny like you can it, the bird yeah suffering for others is worth rejoicing it is is full of rejoicing how do you like how Paul phrases it it's of which I became a minister which is kind of it's a religious word but it should really be like a servant or, or a server or almost a waiter one, one that dishes it out according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. God's given me a thing. God's given me a stewardship to make the gospel known to you. Paul knows what his role is. He knows what his job is. That God's given me this thing. Uh, Also yesterday, our neighbor lady gave us like, I don't know, 50 hostas to plant. Well, I have stewardship over those, right? I didn't just, I mean, I didn't really have time to plant them all. So I just left them out on the sidewalk to wash down the gutter. No, that would have been terrible. She would have killed me, right? I had a stewardship over them. She gave me a gift. I have a little bit of stewardship that I better do something good with these because she's like looking straight out of my house I have a stewardship to, to do something good with him. So I gave him all to the neighbor guy and he did stuff. i planted a few, but he did, he did better than I could. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul would say, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is God's house and it was given to you. And you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You were bought with the price of, Jesus, of God's only son. That's how much God loves you. That's how much you are worth. It's the worth, the life price of an only son. If you just ponder that. And then he says, you're not your own. You belong to him. And that's not a slavery thing. That's not a, an obligation thing. In the context of that is um, sexual sin. But overall, it's not a, it's not a, oh, I better be, oh, I got to do, oh, I got to make God proud. Oh, I got to It's just, this is mine. This is my, this is my child I bought. This is what I got. Ask any foster parent, they're going to tell you, they know that they are not fostering a perfect child. Do they love that child that they're taking care of? Yes, they do. That is their foster child. Perfect or not. If, that, if they can say that, though they are sinful, how much more so is God going to say it, that he bought you? You're not your own. You have the stewardship of your life that you've been given And God is cheering for you. I used to freak out guys at the rescue mission. Uh, God's always watching you. He's watching everything you do. But He's watching you like when you make a sailboat and it's raining real hard and the gutter of your street is flooded and you take your sailboat out and you stick it in the side of the street and you watch it and you're like, and you're excited and you're nervous and is it going to sink or is it going to float? And sometimes you nudge it and you help it, but otherwise... You're watching its every move with excitement because you've made it and you love it. And if it gets too close to that sewer that doesn't have a grate, what are you going to do? Oh, oh you're going to grab it and pull it out. That's how God's watching us. That's how we aren't our own. That's how we glorify God with our bodies. We, we have the stewardship of our life. So we, we live it out. So Paul says this whole section, I rejoice that I'm suffering. It's for your sake. It's to fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions to show off that he was a real man, that he is the son of God, that God loves you. And then he flips over to talk about God for a minute. This is Colossians 126. The mystery of hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. All right? So if you stop right there, God is now making known how great this secret thing is. This secret thing that all through all the people in the Old Testament, that they were all searching for, and sometimes they glimpsed it, and sometimes they got a little close to it. Sometimes they got to experience the power of it, but not fully. It's all been held back until Jesus came and now He reveals it to you and it is in Colossians 1.27 Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you the hope of glory. There's a, um, a Bible translation that you, know, um, you we use the same word you as we do for you all like plural you or singular you. There's a Bible translation where you can turn it on to be a Kentuckian or Texan. And it's like Ewan's or Ewens or y'all. I figured if there's another, there's a third option, but I couldn't get past Ewens. Christ in y'all. This, the big mystery that's been waiting to be revealed through all the old Testament is Christ in all of you is the hope of glory. That, that Christ, that God, the Trinity, the, 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 the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit could not dwell with you as long as you have sin. But now Jesus has taken away your sin. And so you're righteous and holy in him. And now the Holy Spirit can come and be with you and dwell in you. And that hope is the hope that now we're a new creation that can be spiritual and physical. Physical. And that we can be led by God, even as we live here and do normal stuff, like wash our car, mow our grass. That's the mystery. Christ is in all of us, and that is the hope of glory. See, right now, I can look around and I can't see Jesus sitting on his throne. I can't see the beasts. I can't see all the miracles of heaven. I mean, unless I have a vision, but I mean... You can't just make that happen. Right. But I can see the hope of glory happen when I go do donuts in my neighbor's tomato patch and he forgives me, even though I deserve a strangling. And when he forgives me, I see the work of God in him and I see the the glory of God forgiving my sin. That's the hope of glory. That's. The hope of glory is Jesus Christ working in each of us with each other for each other. It's having compassion on a random Tuesday morning to, to call somebody up and say, Hey, I'm praying for you today. And the other person is just having a really depressed day. And they're like, You're, you called at the perfect time, right? That Christ working in all of us. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's going to start into another thing. And um, he's setting it up that this is all about maturity in Christ. This is not uh, just a one and done. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Amen. And now I'm saved. And I get to go and continue my life just willy nilly, whatever. There's this maturity in Christ that happens that as I become mature in him, I start to get wisdom. And that wisdom helps me in my 20s and it helps me in my 30s and it helps me in my 40s and it helps me in my 50s. It helps me in every decade. As I grow, I'm growing in him. He's growing in me. And I get mature. Paul says, for this I toil. This is the very last verse of Colossians 1, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Have you ever met these people that just go, go, go and are just unstoppable? And you're like, man, that person, they are doing all kinds of things. They are super active. There's the kind of those that burn out and are just trying as hard as they can to get everything. There's some times you meet people and you're like, man, that person is on fire for Jesus. They want to let everybody know about the love of God. And they're going to make the love of God known to everybody they can. That's this kind of person. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. Have you ever had those times where you're like, I have no more energy to do anything. But you know, God has given you this one more opportunity to do this thing, right? Or, you know what? I'm totally exhausted. I have every excuse to shut down. But I have a feeling this guy in the grocery line behind me needs some encouragement. Or maybe I need to go stand by this single mom that's freaking out with her kids just to lend a hand of, you know, can I carry your groceries or something? What? I don't know. I'm stuck at the grocery store. But look for Christ's strength. Look for Christ's strength to do what he wants you to do. Because all of a sudden, you get this joy. You get this this like, wow, this is exactly why I missed that off-ramp and almost ran out of gas. You know, those things happen. The more you pray, those weird things happen more often, oddly enough. Um, But just look look for his strength. But that connects directly to chapter 2, verse 1. So, End of chapter one, into chapter two. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, back to this mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, a big old humongous long Greek sentence to say, just break it down slow. Paul is working hard that you would know that your hearts would be encouraged. That your hearts would be encouraged. That you would just have a positive outlook. That's what encouraged is. That you'd be cheered on. Yes, today is a good day to wake up. Today is a, this, this is a, this next thing that's going to happen to me, in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to find some rejoicing and suffering in it. And if it's bad, I'm going to be encouraged in it if it's good. Encouraged. Being knit together in love. Knit together in love that we wouldn't be backstabbing each other, that we wouldn't be criticizing and gossiping, cutting people down, but that we'd really be knit together in love. That we'd be, we would love each other, that we would be so glad to see each other at different times when we run into each other in random places. Love. That we would anticipate one another's needs before you have to ask for them. That we'd love each other in our actions. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I know a guy that was going through a really, really hard time. And I was like, you know, this is really, this really sucks. Like, this is really hard. But you know for a fact that it will be over in two days and then everything will probably go back to normal. And Christ loves you so much. God cares about you, he cares about this thing, but only in the way that it would affect your soul because God's going to love you exactly the same on Friday, no matter what happens on Thursday with whether it goes this way or that God's love for you is still a fire on Friday. And he said, I need you to tell me that more often. Can you tell me that all the time? It's like, yes, we can do that. I guess we'll figure it out full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of Christ's love for you. There's a a law in the Old Testament, in the Torah that said to write the words of God on your doorpost. And so Jewish people in their house, they would walk into their house and they would have little scrolls of scripture written on the doorway. And when they left their house, You know, they might kiss their hands and kiss that as they go out. When they come home, they might kiss their hands and kiss that. And that's just a reminder, reminder. It's a thing that they can see that's reminding them about the law and about God. Man, whatever it takes, do one of those gizmos. Don't make it idle, goodness sakes. But get something that will remind you, give you the full, uh, to reach all the riches of full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. Christ always wants to know you. He always wants to know what's going on. He's always close to you. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I I had a buddy, I was struggling with my job, and he said, you know, Jesus is the best web designer that there's ever been. Which is a pretty weird statement to say. If in Jesus are hidden all... all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he says, so what happens when you're designing a website? That was my job. If you would hit a wall, just go and pray and ask Jesus. Jesus, show me how to make this web page. Jesus, show me how to do this code. And I started doing that. And it felt really weird at the beginning. But then I realized how much I was bringing Jesus into my work. Bringing Jesus, and it was reminding me giving me this full, the riches of the full assurance that when I'm at work, Jesus is right there with me. And he's right there with me when I'm struggling. He's right there with me when a customer is mad. Jesus, you are the best customer service representative ever. What can I say to this guy? <laughs> okay. What should I say to this guy? In the boundaries of my freedoms in all my sins that you've already died for, what can I say to him right now? No. Um, What, you know, you've done this better than anybody, Jesus. What do you want me to do? How do I do this? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what Paul is working so hard for people to know. Wait, oh my gosh. So flip that back to the very beginning. He's suffering for others, he's not suffering so he can know better all the riches and the treasures of Jesus. He is suffering so that you can know all the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge and the assurance of Jesus. You know what happens while I do it? So we had take your kid to work day. So I take my daughter, Grace. She's 14 to work and I teach her about search engine optimization. And while I'm teaching her about search engine optimization, I'm realizing all this stuff. And I'm learning, oh, you know, know, as I'm explaining it to her, I'm learning more of myself. God knows, Jesus knows, Paul knew it. And he's telling us that as we work to show other people how much Jesus is awesome, we're going to realize how awesome Jesus is. As we work hard to give people assurance from God We're going to get assurance from God that God's with us to give assurance. That's just how that works. He says, I say this so no one will delude you with plausible arguments. All right. So this is the next section here. Though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you, your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul's not with them. He's writing them a letter. And he says, I don't want people to delude you with arguments. I don't want people to to talk you out of your faith. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in Him. It's an action word, isn't it? Don't think in Him. I mean, it's okay to think. But don't just sit around and ponder Jesus. Walk in Jesus. Act. Struggle with all... uh, What was it? All His energy that He powerfully works within me. I'm not going to sit around and think about Jesus... I'm going to act, and I'm going to do things to show people Jesus. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So this, this is where, this was a real thing. Um, in Rome, there were a lot of, of teaching. You know, in Athens, it talks about Paul went to this place where all people did in Athens was talk about religion all day. Um, was there still poverty in Athens? Yes. Was there, uh, you know, sin and debauchery in Athens? Yes. But all they did all day was sit around and talk about religion. And you're like, gosh, come on, guys. Get out there and do something. Uh, That's that's what he's saying. Don't let anybody take you captive with a bunch of ideas. Don't take anyone take you captive with philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and elemental spirits of the world. If we just go by tradition, on the one hand, here's here's how it's always been done. Here's how everything's always happened. Um, I'm sure maybe you've heard the story of the church that whenever they stood up to say the Lord's Prayer... They all faced the back of the church and they would say the Lord's prayer together and then they would turn back around and sit down. And a new person came to the church and they're like, why? Why does everybody turn around when they say the Lord's prayer? Is this like some, uh, you know, we're going to go, we're going to exit. We're saying this to all the people outside of the church. So we're going to talk, you know, why are we doing this? And they started asking around. And they found one guy that was there when they you know, built the church. And there were a bunch of people that didn't know the Lord's prayer. So they painted the words of the Lord's prayer on the back wall. And then everybody would turn around and read it off the back wall. And then they would go back and they had painted over that years and years and years ago. But everybody still turned around and looked at this blank white wall and read the Lord's prayer off a blank white wall. It is a great idea. Tradition. There are a lot of traditions. Um, the whole the whole when do you sit down and stand up in church like the origin of those traditions are you stand up when God's word is read because you're re- receiving it. I want to hear it. And you sit down when when somebody else is in authority and they're going to say something. I'm, I'm not in authority, so I'm going to take the attention off of myself and sit down. I'm going to kneel because I'm, I'm beseeching the Lord. And so I'm going to kneel down and Pray. And I'm going to stand up to receive what the Lord has. All that stand up, sit down, kneel stuff has great origins. There's a lot of traditions that have great origins. But we can't be deceived and swept away by, the, by keeping those traditions. If, if they're not serving everything else we've talked about, right? The assurance. If you feel guilty because you didn't stand up and sit down at the right time, that tradition is not serving to give you assurance that God loves you. Wow. Right? So don't be swept away by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. I was talking to a guy this week and he said we were talking about praying and the end of James. The power, prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And he says, so what do you do when you pray for somebody to get healed and they die? And I said, you pray for the next person to get healed. So to live by the elemental spirit that, that, what did I say? The elemental spirits of the world is when somebody has this illness, they always die. And you just give up be like, oh, that's what, you know, that's what happens. You you get this, you die. So we're not even going to pray for them. Um, let's make a memories video while they're still alive that we can watch at their funeral and just give up on this stuff. It's like, no, that's living by the elemental spirits. You pray that they'd be healed because sometimes God intervenes. Sometimes God answers. So in that conversation, I said, okay, what if God's going to answer your prayers 1% of the time? I bet my 1% is bigger than your 1% because I'm going to keep going. Failure after failure after failure. And he was like, I want my 1% to be bigger. I was like, then pray for people. Don't give up just because, you know, don't live according to elemental spirits of the world. So that whole verse, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Tell you what, the news feeds on this elemental spirits of the world. The news feeds on. Here's the report. Here's how horrible it is. You know what's going to happen. Buy this new truck. It's like no Christ is involved there. He's doing things. So then Paul gives you okay. Why? Why should I not be deceived? Why should I not be not listen to tradition? Why should I not listen to the elemental spirits? Colossians 2 9, in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. All of God, the deity, God, creator of strawberries and black holes and the cosmos, in bodily form was Jesus Christ. So you ponder that for a second, you get your little mind blown going, and then you get Colossians 2:10. "And you have been filled in Him, who is head of all rule and authority. God dwelled fully in Christ, and you have been filled with Christ. You are a new creation. He says this later. "You're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. You have been filled with Christ. Do I still do donuts in my neighbor's tomato garden? I have bad habits, you guys. That doesn't change the fact that Christ is in me. He is watching me, oh, come on. He's watching that sailboat go down the creek, but he's in me so that I can, when I'm at the corner of my neighbor's tomato garden and I'm revving my engine, he's right there saying, don't do this, Dan. He's he's prompting me. He's helping me. He's he's showing me. He's guiding me. So if the last thing is true, go back to the first thing. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Christ is fully in you. And so I rejoice in my sufferings that I suffer for the sake of others. Because Christ is in me doing it. Wow. And how did he handle suffering? He was like a sheep before her shears is silent. He didn't blah, blah, this isn't fair. Jesus didn't carry on. He got killed. And then he came back to life because death wasn't enough. Death couldn't kill him. And he came back to life and, and lived and he beat His suffering like that. And he is in you. So there's a whole bunch of good in here. But we should pray. Lord, thank you so much for dying for our sins, rising from the dead, and then taking your very spirit, your very self, and putting your life into us that we could repeat your life. In 2019, that we could live for you and even let you live in us and that we could show people who God is with our bodies, with our lives. Thank you so much, Lord. Pray that you'd strengthen us and help us to remember these things at the most inopportune moments. When we're last thinking about it, I pray that you would show up and guide us even there, too, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing number 493 together. As you go out this week, there's going to be suffering. And I'm praying for you that you'd rejoice in it and show off Jesus through it. God bless you. Amen. Thank
1: you,
0: sir. All right. Thank you.
1: Very good.